This is Maya Thomas, the producer of the DSC podcast. DSC is a team of 33 people across Australia, all working together to bring specialised training and consulting expertise to providers in the disability sector. And a quick note on this episode. We enjoyed speaking with Laura and Jordan O'Reilly so much, we decided to release the recording as is, which means it's a long one, but a great one. We hope you like it. All right, here's what's going to happen now. Hello and welcome to our podcast. We are DSC. Your turn, you're the boss. Disability Disability done done different, different. candid conversations. Hope you're ready because we're starting. Hello and welcome to Disability Done Different Candid Conversations. My name is Evie Norfell. Today is my birthday and I am super excited to be spending it with three of my favourite people. My dad, Roland Norfell. Yeah, that's me, yep. (laughs) (laughs) And dynamic sister brother duo, Laura and Jordan O'Reilly. Welcome, guys. That's us. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Laura. (laughs) So excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Laura and Jordan O'Reilly are the founders of Fighting Chance, an organisation that creates micro-enterprises for people with disability. Close. Close. (laughs) You say it. Um, So Fighting Chance, um, our vision is um, a fully inclusive society and we use social enterprise um, as the vehicle to to bring that society to fruition. And Higher Up, the darling of the industry, and if you haven't heard about Higher Up in this sector, you've probably been living under a rock. So Jordan, can you tell us a little bit about Higher Up? Yeah, so Higher Up is an online provider uh, that gives Australians with disability the power to find, hire and manage their very own support workers. Hyrops won just about every award there is to win and um, is doing extraordinarily well. And we'll talk during the program, during the podcast, um, extensively about Higher Up. And let's talk a lot more about Fighting Chance. And if we get a chance, Jigsaw as well. So tell us a bit about the genesis of both Fighting Chance and Higher Up. So I think the um, the heart of what we're doing, the start of the story, the reason that Jordy and I are sitting here is because um, we are siblings of... Um, of, uh, of there were three um, kids in our family. I'm the oldest. Geordie was second, and we had um, a third brother called Shane. Um, and Shane was um, uh, an amazing human being. Um, he was funny. He was intelligent. He loved computers. He was the most optimistic um, soul. He was just a phenomenal person, and he also happened to have disability. Um, he had cerebral palsy, which... Um, for him was a, a um, profound physical disability and a moderate intellectual disability. Um, and growing up as siblings of, of a brother with disability, we had the great um, privilege and honour of of going through life, seeing the world through his eyes, experiencing many of the challenges and the um, the hurdles that he faced as a, as a person with disability. Um, and it really was Shane's lived experience and, and our experiences as his um, as his first followers and, and his his um, biggest supporters in life that is the story of, of fighting chance and 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 then later of, of the creation of higher up well I think I think the in addition to an amazing little brother we also had really wonderful parents and uh, so we were born in Canberra Shane was born a year um, <clears throat> was a year younger than me uh, when he was born at I think 28 weeks um, wow and um you know it was that that old cliche the, the, the doctor said to our parents um shane will never walk and never talk and he's not going to contribute much and uh, like i think still people you know people's advice and, and much older people than our parents as advice in those in those days were well that's okay you know he can he can just be sort of um put away type thing and it's incredible to think that that is that was an, an attitude it like literally in our lifetime and i think um our parents reaction um, was incredible. Dad quit his job. Uh, he was working in, in the um, 
uh, press gallery in Parliament House and he sort of quit his job on the spot and um, decided to he, that he wanted to spend his life proving, um, you know, the, the, the naysayers wrong and proving that we were going to have a wonderful life. And so that took us to, to the UK and we just had this, uh, this amazing upbringing with um, a, a, a really committed and dedicated parents and, um, and who, who just spent their life thinking outside the box. And there's this incredible photo I've got, um, we'll sort of, we'll, we'll publish it on a blog if people would like to see it, but it's, it's a Shane mowing the lawn in the mm-hmm. UK and he's in his, he's in this like dodgy old contraption of a wheelchair that's sort of, um, you know, uh, it's sort of extended up off the ground. It looks like it was built in 1970 or something. It can't have been very safe. But um, Dad and Shane, you know, went out and found this wheelchair, worked out how to connect this sort of petrol-powered lawnmower to the front of the wheelchair. And Shane... It's a great photo. <laughs> it's an amazing photo. And, and, yeah. And, and it's and it's Shane mowing the lawn and, and the, the look on Shane's face, the, the look of, you know, working out how he's going to... I mean, it would be incredibly hard to, to mow a lawn from sitting in a wheelchair and, you know, he, he would work that out. And, and But the photo is so important because it sort of really illustrates the out-of-the-box thinking that, that mm. um, we were surrounded by our whole lives in thinking about... Um, the difference between being a really active member in your own life and, and really sitting on the sidelines of your own life sometimes is just um, a bit of a bit of sort of lateral thinking and a bit of um, positivity and creativity in, in, and in, t- in terms of um, in, in that case supporting Shane and that was just our, our whole our whole sort of upbringing wasn't it and also the, the notion that is absolutely represented in that photo which is that your ability doesn't define you what is important is the systems and the structures that you put around you know so you can take Shane who's sitting on the couch you know wasn't able to to walk for example but you put him in a specially adapted chair and I say adapted loosely I mean it was my dad with a belt and some scissors and you know some glue and stuff but you put him in an adapted wheelchair and you strap on the 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 mower to to his legs and and then suddenly this person is empowered to be able to contribute and to do chores and to be a active member of our family and that's that was just one example our whole life our our parents were like okay how are we manipulating this environment how are we putting the systems and the tools around Shane to enable him to fully participate um and that, and that, that, much- was, that was Shane's real really great gift because he was so determined and he, he you know he could he knew his ability better than anyone and so it was really just a, a case and I guess we didn't really realize that at the time I mean it's that it's that sort of famous quote you can only connect the dots looking backwards but um really for us that was our whole our whole upbringing and um it was incredibly um a positive wonderful experience and, and we were very bonded as a family so what did it create what did you create so the journey for us really began in uh, 2011 um we were both university students at the time our brother shane had just sort of made the transition to post school and we saw in shane's life um the lack of opportunity that was available to him particularly around uh, he wanted to work he wanted to live independently he wanted to be fully participating socially in society and we were seeing the um the barriers that existed to him achieving those goals so 2011 we we decided to jump in and and launch a not-for-profit organization called fighting chance um very much we were super naive our goals were just to create opportunities for Shane in those key spaces um we didn't really understand I think what we were taking on sitting in our mum's garage at the start um but over the years um Fighting Chance has evolved today Fighting Chance is um a not-for-profit organization whose vision is um a fully inclusive world and the tool that we we use to enable inclusion for everybody is social enterprise we believe um, very passionately in the power of commerce, of business, of business for good, to create um, opportunities for people with disability to fully participate in society. So Fighting Chances methodology is we work with the community to identify gaps. So that might be, for example, a lack of employment opportunities. We then go away and build a, a business model around solving that problem. 
we believe really passionately that you know that businesses create opportunity that people with disability don't need charity they need a chance and that businesses do that so we create a business that um, is sustainable that that trades that earns its own money but that in doing that process it can solve the challenge um, and then we try to get that business up on its feet and to and to succeed so it's great great model one one example of that, like I mentioned, the challenge of unemployment. There was a massive challenge that we were hearing about from the community in 2011, 2012. Um, we looked into the post-school system, the, the, the TTW programs now slares into DES, and we really noticed that there was a lack of um, opportunity for people to gain practical work experience. If you haven't had a job, it's really hard to get a job. So we built a business um, in, the, in the information management industry, providing very commercially-based services to 100 corporate and government entities, but we use that commercial work to create work-based training, award wage employment, and then support people then to transition to mainstream employment. So... The key thing to know about Fighting Chance is, yeah, our methodology is around using social enterprise. That's and um, yeah, we I think the, the world we hope to see is a, a world in which there are lots of businesses doing innovative, sustainable things that include people with disability fully. One of the things that I find really interesting about the work that you do with Fighting Chance is it's all about employment, but you do have one program or one stream, I'm not sure how you want to refer to it, that does work with people with particularly complex support needs. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, so the first social enterprise that we created under the Fighting Chance um, umbrella was Avenue. Um, and Ave- Avenue was very much, um, very directly um, a response to, to Shane's experience. Shane had um, had profound physical disability. He needed lots of, you know, um, quite complex supports during the day, but he also wanted to be working. Um, but that mainstream employment wasn't necessarily going to be the right fit for him. He wanted, he was he was an entrepreneur himself. He wanted to be creating his own his own um, approach to work that na- enabled him to have that flexibility. So Avenue is a co-working space um, designed for people with, with profound and severe disability. So we provide in, within the co-working space all of the accessibility, all of the, um, the assistance that people need to get through the day healthily and happily but that in that space that cohort are then supported to to work and we use the sharing economy we use platforms like mad paws and like airtasker um, we use um, entrepreneurship people have got their own business idea that they want to that they want to pursue and we have some little micro enterprises of our own to support everybody to work in a way that is meaningful for them but in a really flexible um, customized manner so that our, I guess the, the vision of Avenue is that there would be in the future no person, not one single person who comes out of school and is told you cannot work in the way that Shane was. Um, rather that the conversation be, okay, well, what's what's the vision for you? Do you want to set up your own business? Do you want to work flexibly in the sharing economy? How how do we adapt work for you? And that's what Avenue does. Love that. The key insight behind Avenue in those early days, I was uh, just starting a degree in occupational therapy and really realizing and talking to Laura and talking you know really seeing with Shane and talking to Shane a lot about the idea that occupation is essential to our to our well-being to our sense of ourself our self-esteem our sense of identity our physical and emotional mental financial well-being you know it's the first question you get asked at at the sort of the the backyard barbecue you know so what do you do with yourself and um, it's just not acceptable that for, for, for a whole part of our community a whole segment of the population we just say you know you, that you are essentially not gonna not gonna work, and um, Flora and I we just looked at it and went, Shane absolutely can work. It's just about creating the environment. And so when I look at Avenue now, Avenue's been you know it's it's as Laura said, it was the first social enterprise that Fighting Chance launched, um, and it's been through lots of iterations, but it's absolutely heading in the right direction. That is saying, let's build a workplace for everyone. 
Let's so let's talk a bit about higher up too, Jordan, because it's not very often that higher up gets third cab off the rank, is it? Uh, not in my life anymore yeah. because I'm so In my life, on. it's always third cab <laughs> off the rank. <laughs> so tell us. As Laura said, we launched Fighting Chance in 2011 and we worked uh, really well together uh, in that business till about 2014 uh, when this idea just wouldn't quit in my head and, and it was the idea for higher up. Um, we, as a family had that experience as familiar to many people with disabilities which is that dreadful feeling uh, being there at sort of 7am in the morning and waiting for a knock on the door and not knowing who was who who was knocking um it, it would be a support worker that would have been sort of assigned to to support shane um and you'd sort of have this feeling for me you know as a person um uh, supporting it, maybe on that day going and opening the door and just meeting a total stranger and really feeling your heart sink and then you know you've got about five or ten seconds to work out is this person for real and then you're introducing them to to your, your brother and then I just remember sort of walking out of the room and, and um, Shane would say you know morning how's it, how's it going and this person wouldn't understand Shane's speech and so we'd just ignore him and just this like really um, this huge sense of disempowerment a lot of people describe it as feeling like a lottery in terms of uh, getting support for in that, in that sort of way and so um, Laura and I really experienced this um, uh, through Shane's through Shane's eyes it felt disempowering for us let alone for Shane and so really it was that experience um, uh, I then went out and started working as a support worker um, I was that stranger going and knocking on people's doors not knowing who I was there to support and oftentimes being sent to into the wrong environment to someone that I couldn't support I didn't know you know culturally in the wrong environment maybe out of my depth in terms of understanding how to best support someone so it was really those two experiences taken together on both sides feeling and experiencing the challenge on both sides of the fence feeling this this sense of disempowerment and inefficiency in, in the traditional system and so um, it was with those insights that in, in 2014 we stepped out and we said let's have a go at building higher up let's build a let's use this amazing <laughs> except it wasn't called higher up when you started I don't want to talk about that <laughs> We had a very embarrassing name to start with, but that was, uh, and I shouldn't have ever told Evie that, that secret. That was my next question, which I'll get in quickly, but who's the brander in the family? Because you've got Avenue, Fighting Chance, Higher Up and Jigsaw. That's exactly what I said. I was like, do you have another micro enterprise based on not making shit names for the disability sector? <laughs> yeah. Jo so I, and I, that is Geordie. Yeah. Geordie, what, what? Geordie should have had, Geordie, if, if everything falls apart with Higher Up, Geordie has a career he in does. marketing, I think. He's, no, he's, he's All of those names are, are They're are great names, except for the first one. Well, exactly. <laughs> we, won't, we, we won't go there. That's why it's... Um, no, we have to. We have to tell them. <laughs> no, we, we don't want to tell them. Okay. Um, so it's really important to say. It's really important to say that that um, Fighting Chance is a not-for-profit organisation, and um, under it, it, it builds so great social enterprises. One of those is Avenue. One of those is Jigsaw. It's a not-for-profit and, and and sits to one side. Higher Up is then a separate organisation. It's a for-purpose, for-profit organisation. They're very, very um, uh, separate organisations. And so um, the, the link between them, I guess, is, is Laura and I and our, um, our ideas for a better sector and for new innovations. Um, but they sort of they run it as, as separate, very separate organisations, separate governance structures and all the rest of it. I want to take this a lot further, but Laura, you talked about Shane making a contribution. So mm. that's, and when we look at, I've looked a lot at aging well, and one of the key things about aging badly is when you stop making a contribution right. and you no longer feel valued in society. Mm. I think social role valorization and all of that stuff in disability had a pretty good handle on that. Mm. Do you reckon Shane understood the contribution he's made towards changing the face of Australian disability services? Did he get that moment? 
He Did was he... pretty unimpressed by us, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he um he just so we had um we Shane was um attending um a, a day program type model and we and we knew that the work was a big missing piece for him and he wanted that so we said okay well we'll build this and one day we said to him mate you know we like you can start work you can you know here's your desk and he's like oh oh I'll think about it yeah I'm not. <laughs> I'm not really sure and if I'm interested in this. And so, this is fighting chance. This is yes, yeah, very chance. early days of fighting chance. So, so what was it back then? Well, well it, it really started as a um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, this insight that we'd go and pick Shane up and he'd be sitting, at, you know, in his wheelchair, sort of half asleep in the corner. Doing nothing. Doing nothing. Can I or, tell a story about that? A really powerful story for yeah, me. Yeah, of course. I was um, I was studying in the UK at the time. Probably this probably maybe two thousand and nine. I was studying in the UK, but I was home for the English summer, um, the Australian winter. But it was one of those days I remember so clearly. It was one of those Sydney winter days with a blue, blue, blue sky, um, and I was you know worrying about my studies and I was worried about you know um, things that people in the early twenties were worried about. But my mum said, "Could I take Shane's re- his overnight bag at the time? It was his respite bag to to drop off to him at his day program." And I was like, "Sure," and I'd known. I'd heard that Shane was at this, he'd finished school, he was at this day program, but I hadn't really engaged very much with it. So I jumped in the car and, and, and drove to the address where the program was. Um, and I remember pulling up and it was this sort of warehouse um, setting, very industrial setting, trucks um, driving past. And I remember getting out and looking and thinking, is this, like checking the address, is this, why am I, you know, why would Shane be here? It's sort of a it's in light industrial area. But it was the right address. So I walked into this this building and I remember walking through a, big uh, roller doors big you know designed for trucks into this warehouse environment it was white walls it was quite sort of an empty space there was a group of staff sitting to my left I remember and on my right Shane was just sitting in his chair just sort of sitting there and I remember going over to him and being like mate it's lunchtime like what are you what's what's happening here what are you doing and he's like oh you know just waiting we're doing art this afternoon and, and I remember thinking but you can't you don't like art like why I don't understand you know I don't understand what's happening here and I remember I left his him, his overnight bag and I remember walking away and, and as I was walking out looking back and seeing him just sitting in this sort of this empty space and just realizing that if if we don't do something that he's just gonna gonna sit in this program and none of his potential as a person is going to be seized and released that he you know because we knew the, the shade I knew at home he'd come home um, and then he'd be on the computer and he had a he had a website that he was uh, building and running giving antivirus advice you know he he had all of these computer skills he had all of these goals and ambitions for himself um, he, but just this really strong sense of he's not going to achieve any of that if this is if this is the future for him um, well, I've spent waiting for something to happen we hear about that a lot mm-hmm. And just a, a system that was really letting down an incredible young man was yeah. like the insight for us. I mean, um, so Laura was in the UK at that point. I had moved back to Australia with mum and Shane. Our dad really suddenly passed away in 2007, um, 2006. 2006. And um, life became really, really hard really quickly in the UK, far from our family and, and, and mum's friends and support structures. And so we'd moved back to Australia. And so Laura was finishing her study um, and so I was much more connected with Shane at that point in our sort of sibling relationship as I was really trying to work out. I was working out my own life. What, what did I want to do? But really just um, just remember seeing for Shane all of his options sort of, sort of closing down and shutting down. And without my dad's presence really supporting him, um, really 
just and, and especially in Australia. I mean, this was the the, the time of the shutout report. Yeah, yeah. And I yep. never never forget re- reading that. It's like seared into my memory. This um, idea of a, a broken, underfunded, inefficient, fragmented system. Yeah. And that quote that you know people with disabilities live desperate and lonely lives of exclusion and isolation. Yeah, spot on. And that they struggle to be seen, they struggle to be noticed, and they struggle to be heard. And for it just was you know it was. Um, yeah, it was very, very difficult to sort of process that. And as Laura said, you know, experiences like that where you just see the system in real time sort of letting people down. And then you've got Shane who would sort of be coming coming home in the afternoon and he'd be driving into his room and he'd be flipping this little sign on his door saying, come in, we're open for business. And he'd be running, as Laura said, this little um, uh, website trying to work out how to make money on the internet. Um, he'd, he'd be printing off uh, flyers with a photo of him saying Shane the computer man and he'd be going to Forestville shops and and you know you, you sort of cut the bottom of those posters with your number on you know call me if you want help with your computer like he was again sh- showing us that he was he was desperate to work and he was going to work it out and he was just sort of having to spend a whole bunch of his time um, in a system that just um, didn't didn't suit him in the slightest and I guess I guess for us we um, that that for me was the insight into and it really all started with just just how do we do better for Shane? How do we build the lawnmower, you know, the adapted wheelchair lawnmower contraption here to really let Shane express his potential? And, and um, that's sort of where where I think the the fire was really lit for Laura and I in wanting to do better and wanting to do better with Shane. So we get a bit bothered that the, there's not a lot of innovation in the sector, and certainly higher up. And the work that you're doing with Fighting Chance, you've become the poster children, the poster boy and girl of the sector everybody talks about higher up when we talk about innovation but Laura I wanted to ask you in particular if you're post to children how come you let Jordan hog so much of the camera <laughs> it's a good question um I mean firstly I I must say to hear you say that and sometimes I meet people even yesterday at an event someone came up to me and said that they use higher up and it's just it never fails to blow me away um we spent so many years with this idea not really making the progress that we wanted to be making it was you know so hard at the beginning so to for people to be using higher up now people to know about it um it just i it never it never ceases to just absolutely blow me away um in terms of the limelight hog over here (laughs) um no geordie geordie is from the beginning of from the very first moment of higher ups um existence as an idea, Geordie was the driving force behind it, and I'm so proud of what he is doing and what he's done. He deserves all of the the the, uh, the, the positive recognition that he gets. I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I can be real yeah. about it. Here's the truth. <laughs> Let's go to it. Uh, my co-director um, Vanessa Toy and I. We have this um, situation where I've done a lot of the the front person, front man stuff. I get out there, I do a lot of stuff, and every now and then someone will come up to us and say, "And what do you do, Vanessa?" Or, <laughs> "Oh, you work there too, Vanessa." And you can see her shoulders yeah. slump, and it's like, "Okay, you know, I am the front man. She understands that." But every now and then you think, "Well, I put a lot of work into this too, Sunshine." Mm. No. <laughs> um, well, I mean, to a de- to a degree. I mean, I think um, you know, it's it's when you've put so much into something, you know, you really want to be on the journey the whole way through. Yeah. Um, but we we've put our hearts and souls together into two things: into fighting chance and into higher up. And yeah. they reached a point where the success of both of those things required um, 
each of us to sort of one to take one and the other to take the other and um, that was 100% the right decision and I I, um, I love the work that I'm doing at Fighting Chance so I'm mainly extremely just just so proud and um, I just watch in awe what not just Geordie the whole team at Higher Up it's an amazing team effort what the guys are doing is yeah we're very very proud just a, a thought on that um, it was a it, it's been um, the 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 the, the um, process of development has been so sort of condensed especially uh the journey with higher up yep it's only really been um four years now since we uh first launched the platform and in those early days when laura and i were working together side by side we were sitting next to one another we started out just sitting in the garage literally next to one another on a sort of little trestle table um thinking about these ideas and talking about um uh you know how we could make them happen um even before that with our little brother shane um, you know, it was the three of us together, sort of working this sort of stuff out. But um, as as we got closer to um, uh, launching higher up and higher up becoming a thing, we got sort of mentors and friends would tell us this is going to really um, be right. a challenging experience because this is going to take you in two different directions, um, and and rightly so. They 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 are. Um, sort of very very different organizations not related at all and people said this is going to be a challenge for you guys and in in your relationship and in that those sort of early days those sort of um naive days when we didn't know what the journey was going to look like we'd say yeah we'll work it out but it it has been a a real challenge in terms of um getting for me personally getting a huge amount of my energy and inspiration and and ideas from being with laura and, and very close to laura and over the last couple of years you know as the organizations have grown sort of having that separate and so it's been a really interesting challenge um uh, you know, personally, professionally, and all those things. So, um, I think it's. I, I think, and, and I'm sort of coming to the realization that it's. It's also a journey, right? Mm. Um, right. There's going to be points at which, as in in the life cycle of the organizations, that we're not going to get to work so closely as it sort of as we are now. But um, really, we're committed to working together. So it's together interesting. For the rest of our lives. Part of what we wanted to do was to, to explore with you the nature of a, a small family business that is no longer small, but is still a family business. And obviously, Evie and I are a, a daughter and father, and and Vanessa is 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 my partner. So sometimes it gets it gets quite tense in in our family business, but it's, there's also a creative tension that sits there as well. Yeah. Where uh, Evie's first response to me on almost every issue is no. And so then we have to work from there. And it's probably good to have someone holding me back a bit and, and saying no, but We're it pisses a me off. look from Laura. Yeah. <laughs> so, so creative tensions, does that happen in your business as well? I think um, what, what was really powerful about um, our working relationship at the beginning was that we were quite different. Um, I'm, I think... Um, I characterize myself as a very, yes, well, let's do it. Let's shoot <laughs> yeah. for the stars. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about logistics. It'll be fine. Let's just do it. Yeah. And Geordie was always much more great, but, you know, okay, but what's the plan? <laughs> that sounds have we, familiar. Have yeah, we yeah. thought about the risks here? Like, what's the um, – and that worked terrifically at the beginning when we were just, you know, as Geordie said, sitting in our mum's garage or for the first few years when it was a very small team of, you know, of two or three of us and a handful of, of people that we were supporting. Um and I think that that has continued to to to, to be the case. Um, these days, you know, I think Geordie very much is the visionary leader, the the, the sort of the apex of the, the higher up machine, and um, and has a really strong vision for where we're going. So I think that dynamic has changed. Um, it's interesting the different roles that you have to play, and certainly with Fighting Chance, um, uh, these were the days. Laura was. Um, you know, really the prime mover of all the work that, that we've done. And I was really under her wing and really in that 
um, sort of uh, position of first follower, and it was and that worked really well. And then the, the challenge of having to um, step out and to try something from from myself and to be in more of that leadership position and be more of that sort of um, find more of that vision and more of that yes spirit and um, uh, you know navigating the change in that relationship was really really interesting um, mm. uh, and we're still working through that we're still working out how we work best together and how we um, hang on to all the magic while working through all the challenges of, of now running two um, you know very significant organizations so recently higher up was named one of the fastest growing tech companies in australia is that right Yes, that's right. What's it like having one of the fastest growing tech companies in Australia without Shane the computer man? Mm. Oh. This for me, um, I don't like to be contrary, um, but the, the, for me personally, and I know for Laura, it was a really strange experience because we're just sort of chipping away at higher up and, and it's sort of starting to grow. Um Far, faster and faster and bigger and bigger and but when you're in it you sort of don't really you, you don't really get a sense of the relative speed of, of the growth and the rest of it and um, uh, Deloitte reached out to us and, and said that we'd been nominated for the Tech Fast 50 which is um, the, the sort of Australia's premier sort of leading um, uh, sort of ranking of technical businesses and, and their growth and, and so we were really pleased to be um, you know part of that uh, and, and but you know sort of just cracking on with the work and then um, the, the award sort of thing came around and, and we found out that we'd won and we'd um, come number one which was the first time in in history you know in, in the history of the competition that a, a for-purpose business not least a, bi- a business working mm-hmm. in the disability sector but a for-purpose business that's focused on a social mission that's using technology to um, uh, to that end had won and the, the growth in 2000 over the, the, the three years to 2017 had been seven and a half thousand percent. It was sort of twice as it's grown twice as fast as as um, sort of next competitor. I think in or the, or the next sort of entrant in the competition. Um, so it was wonderful to to have been part of this competition. It was wonderful to have been given that recognition. But I remember I and we went along. And we picked up the award. And it was all very busy. But I remember waking up the next morning and just being so sad. I was just so so um, so sad. And I, and I sort of. Was just laying. I remember really clearly, and I wrote sort of something um, to share to share with people, but, but trying to sort of put my finger on why why I felt that way. And it was just the irony of of um, you know I don't have a technical background. I'm not um, you know wasn't into computers growing up, nor was Laura. Shane Shane absolutely was, and just the irony that um, because of his life and because of his sort of example, um, we had sort of come across an insight and built a, an organisation that. Um, you know, and a technical organisation that was doing that well, and he wasn't there to be a part of it. And so, I sort of went in the next morning, and the team had gathered. There was probably about sixty of us in the team at that point, and the team had gathered um, to, to just to reflect on it. And um, I went to sort of say a couple of words. I just burst into tears in front of mm. the team, um, which was quite embarrassing. Now, now I think about it, but um, <laughs> it, you know, it's it's um, just the irony of. of um, building something that Shane, Shane would have absolutely loved to have been a part of and, and um, his life inspired. Um, the, the, real, the real sort of story from there, sorry if I'm... Sorry if this is yeah, no, you're good. Um, when we were in England, I remember I would have been, could have been maybe 12 years old and I was walking up the sh- to the shops with Shane. So he, he was in the wheelchair and I, and I was pushing him along. We were just chatting away and I remember him sitting there saying, um, he was telling me he couldn't work out what he was going to do in the future. And he wasn't sure whether he wanted to be 
an AA man, which in Australian speak I think is an NRMA sort of roadside assistant, or a, or a computer man and, and you know run a computer shop. And I just remember even at that age at twelve being filled with a sense of dread of like this can be difficult for Shane to 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 work and to realise his ambitions. And I thought, and I never forget thinking, um, you know, that's okay. Maybe we'll be able to do something together. Maybe we'll build some sort of computer business together. Um, with Laura and, and we can get it we can get it done that way and that would be awesome and so it's just this sort of funny memory and, and it really came back to me when we're reflecting on that Deloitte experience of the Fast 50 that um, it's just really ironic that Shane you know has inspired this but wasn't there to be a part of it so You said a second ago Jordan you don't like to be contrary but you, sure you know about contrarians and disruptors and very much what you're doing is built on saying I'm not happy with the current system and contrarian, do you know about contrarians? Uh, not a. I suspect not. you like to be contrary. I suspect <laughs> you're saying you don't like to be contrary is is a, a mask for the fact that you do. You do like to see things differently. You do like to contradict um, the way you, you think things are being done. And the story of Higher Up is very much the story of the disruptor. We, you, you've, told, you've told us about how you came to exist. The question becomes, when do you become ordinary? When does higher up become mm. something that is just mm. an industry standard that's no longer good enough? And I, I would say I don't think that we ever we 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 were not very much of the disability sector before we started working it. I'd never worked for another provider. I was only recently arrived in Australia. Didn't really understand the system. I don't think we ever intended to set out to be contrarian to disrupt. We that was never intentional. What we were trying to do was that we saw um, gaps and challenges in Shane's life and we saw what we considered to be quite obvious ways to fix them um, and we just wanted to make that work. And I think, you know, I, I, I feel uncomfortable um, when other providers say, you know, they, oh, you know, we're watching higher up and, you know, um, it's, it's a bit threatening to us. Oh, that makes me so uncomfortable. We don't want to be threatening to anybody. We want to be collaborative. We want to work in partnership with others, I think. Um, we, we want to share our learnings. And, and I think we are working towards a day when higher up is absolutely, you know, average and that, and that the, the standard in the sector is technology and innovation. And There's two questions I want to get out of what you're saying, Laura. One is that you don't want to threaten the existing sector. I've spent 30 years in the existing sector and I grew up in, in the business wanting to help people. Uh, I studied social work and our job as charities and not-for-profits is to support and assist and help people do stuff. And that is no longer an appropriate model. The model is the model that you're, you are talking about um, providing a foundation. I saw Leighton Jay talking about building a garden rather than making friendships for his son. It's creating the opportunities for people to live valued lives. Most of the industry don't get that. They're mm. still operating from the model of um, the charitable model of we need to assist you. And so you are disruptors whether you like it or not. It's a long question, but can you support them to change or do we need to threaten them to change? The, the future that I think that we should work towards in the disability sector is the um, devolution might be the wrong word, but the the, the specialisation of service provision. I think in the past, under a block funded model, there was a handful of very very big providers all doing the same government people, programs, yeah. being all things to all people. Yeah. And I think the future that we should be aspiring to is lots of different providers doing what they do exceptionally well. Yeah, yeah. And higher up does its thing. 
it works in for, you know for the people who want to choose their own support workers um, and it works for that cohort but there is still space in the market for other providers maybe the more traditional providers to do, for example, the very high support needs, for example, or things that HireUp can't do. HireUp is not trying to be all things to all people at all. I think HireUp does what it does. Um, And we know that traditional providers have struggled to do the one-to-one support because of the inefficiencies of scale. That's fine. I think what I hope will happen is that providers will then go, all right, well, we'll leave that bit to HireUp and to others like HireUp, and we will focus on being exceptional at this thing that we do um or we'll partner with higher up i mean there's so much opportunity for for collaboration in this space i think um roland the idea of the idea of disruption has never sat well with me never and and i don't i don't think it's the right idea in this sector a lot of people say to us oh i've heard about this this is the uber of the disability sector and you go or the tinder well (laughs) well you go no we're we're not we're we're definitely not the uber of the like that is not but maybe the tinder well well then people say i mean it's funny about there because then people say oh no you're right this is more like the tinder of the disability and you go no go back to uber like (laughs) this is this isn't it's neither of those things and and what is happening is people are uh understand these these new models where these um these sort of peer-to-peer models where power is um, via the system handed more, is, is redistributed more to the, to the people who are looking for the service um, th- we have such a limited vocabulary around this sort of stuff and HireUp's not the Uber of the disability sector HireUp's the HireUp of the disability sector and we are so different in so many ways to, to, to these ideas not least the fact that we don't want HireUp to be right we don't want to disrupt the sector HireUp might be right for 5 or 10% of the sector that's an enormous amount of people and i think i think by being very clear on this as Laura was sort of saying by being very clear on, on on who we are and what we do and what we're trying to do well has meant that we've grown really well because of that laser focus we're not but you don't want to disrupt a sector yeah. that you no i'm with you keep going yeah you don't want to disrupt a sector that you absolutely said would have had Shane sitting in a corner for the rest of his life you were just too nice to get in there and and and, and kick some yeah I, 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 I think I think that, I think this is about evolution and it's right. about revolution and it's about us all coming together this is not about disrupting we're all this is not mm, you know I think like, this is semantic yeah the, the, the challenge I have with the word is just the connotation and the, and the uberization like yeah. the, the, the uberization and and that's the way that we use the term disruption I just don't think it's it's not the right mindset for us as a sector yeah. we have to think about absolutely evolving what we do we have to think that there are going to be and, and Harp's only one example like there are lots of green shoots of innovation there's going to be heaps and heaps more of it bring it on is what I say to your original question Roland like what happens when higher up becomes average it's like bring it on and Laura and I are here you know to, to, to anyone that might be listening who might be interested it's like one of the things that, that that really you know people say don't take any of this stuff personally it's hard to take it not to take it personally when you hear you know there might be CEOs of, of, of organizations that are criticizing higher up who have never never picked up the phone never sent an email it's like come along come and see what we're doing come and understand the depths of what we're doing and what we're creating and if we can help the sector I mean more broadly Laura and I are, are committed to um, the, the, the um, evolution of this sector and really um, uh, embracing this opportunity of the NDIS for people like our brother and generations to come and um, the point for us is that we're here to sure higher up is going to challenge some 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 models in the sector but you know if it's right for five or ten percent of of the market there's a huge percentage of the market that need to evolve what they're doing too and and I hope higher up can be a, a, an example and, and maybe a leading light in that.
I think for me also the other thing about disruption, again, in the Uber context, is it's like Uber's coming in, it's intentionally trying to mm. put all these cab companies out of business and take their business and be the only thing that exists in, in, in you know, tra- that sort of form of transport. That is not what we are trying to do. To, you know, we are trying to, as Geordie said, hire up works well for the people that it works for. We are keen to, um, we're keen to own, you know, for hope to be successful in that space. Um, but we, the future, I think, that we are that we believe in is a sector where there's tons of great stuff happening and people with disability have true choice and control and heart might be right for this part of their, their, their life, but they use this provider for this part and this provider for this part because they're getting world-class quality from everybody. That's so I think we agree with the future. I, do, I just don't think we're quite as sweet as you are about um, where you sit within the industry. Yeah. But. And that and that's fine. We, you know, we'll let other people describe higher up in the terms that make sense to them. And, yeah. and 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 certainly, if people are feeling disrupted by higher up, then um, that's that's sort of what I, the yeah. What I think some providers are deeply challenged by higher up because you've, you know, I remember sort of three, four, five years ago when we went to providers and talked about NDIS and choice and control. People immediately jumped to, well, that means people have to be able to choose their own workers, and that is going to be so difficult to do. But if we think about like reliability, turnover, attracting staff, and all mm-hmm. the rest of it, and for higher up to come to have come along and be like, we fixed it. I think it's deeply challenging to people. I want to, I want to take us somewhere else for a tick and, and talk about the industry itself and see if you understand it in the way I'm trying to come to grips with it after this period of time of working in it, but. I'm thinking of it as, as a pyramid, and at the top of the pyramid, and a very small percentage of people get paid very well, typically the allied health sector, the, the, the fees that they get paid are much, much higher. But then down the bottom of the pyramid, which is a huge swathe, and I would have thought it's 80 or 85% are poorly paid hands-on workers. And there's very little in the middle. So you've got a very little bit at the top of the pyramid getting paid well, a huge swathe at the bottom that are getting paid very ordinarily. And I know higher-ups trying to address a small part of that. But why are we missing that middle section of the industry? And Jordan, you and I did talk about this a couple of years ago, that higher-up in a sense provides a pair of hands to support a person to do the things they need to do. It doesn't provide an approach. It doesn't provide specialist skills. It doesn't provide specialist programming. So essentially, we could still use higher up to have Shane sit in the corner of our house or a community center for the rest of his life. Where can higher up go? Does it need to be higher up? How can we add value? How can we create programs, schedules, approaches, specialist skills on top of what higher up's doing? Mm. I think it's a that's a really interesting question, and I'd I'd love to hear Laura's views on that. The one thing I would say, just with the, with the approach we've taken with Higher Up, number one, is that we built it as an employment um, model, and that was incre- that was we were one of the first businesses in the world uh, at that point to use the available technology, so it's technology that people are starting to get their heads around in other parts of their life with an employment-based model. And everyone's advice at, at that time in sort of 2014, Uber was only just emerging and was still a bit of a darling. And everyone's advice was, no, you build these as, mu- as contractor marketplaces. Yeah, yeah. But for Laura and I, we looked at each other and we said that, that didn't feel right to us. It felt like, especially for me as a, as a uni student, I was studying occupational therapy. I was working as a support worker. I didn't necessarily want to go out and start my own business. I wanted to be part of something bigger. I wanted to be part of a community. I wanted to be, you know, not have to worry about, you know, all the admin, the super tax and all that sort of thing. Um, and the more we looked at it, the more we realized higher up is about facilitating relationships. And success, success with higher up is a long-term relationship. And we're actually seeing 
um, it, yeah, it's amazing the data that, we, that we're starting to see on the longer term relationships and the outcomes of relationships when you have consistency over the person that's supporting you. That to Laura and I felt like um, employment and the, and the um, additional benefits of being able to build an employment-based uh, model was that we could provide training mm-hmm. and we could start thinking about career pathways and we could do all of these things. You could start to build from it. We could start to build from that point. And, and are and, you? And, You're just still too busy doing the employment bit? Well, I mean, that's sort of where the idea started. And, and as I say, I, I, for me, that was that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. And, and to be honest with you, like Laura, Laura was, was a huge, huge advocate for this. And I was sort of saying, I'm not sure... I'm not sure if you know how we do this, how we structure this. And Laura said we'd be brave, and we and we really invest in the people who ultimately make higher up work. And if we get that piece right, if we can prove that we can, but that was a huge question. Like, don't get us wrong. Like, there was no there was no playbook for that. There was no model for that. And Laura, what you wanted to do was create a relationship based business. Absolutely, I, I think we wanted um, a couple of things. I think we wanted to make it really easy for support workers to to be able to use hire up and in at you know at the time I was in my mid twenties, the idea of getting an ABN, setting up your own business, having to do your yeah, own tax yeah, return. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, I don't I don't do want that, to do yeah. that. And so let's not ask our support workers to have to do that. Yeah. Um but I also think to to Geordie's point, we also we we like we believe in our people the, the support workers that I we have the privilege of working with that I have the privilege of working with every day are some of the most extraordinary people and we wanted to make sure we were paying award wage and above award wage we wanted to pay people superannuation we wanted to take care of the tax piece for people we wanted to be able to train and upskill and offer people um, you know pathways to, to different types of employment long-term careers in 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 this industry that we cared so much about we we believe very deeply in that so we said well you know, sorry, naysayers, we're taking a risk. We're doing it this way, and that's how it's going to be. And it's amazing now that it's it's it kind works. of it works, yeah. and it's everyone's like, oh yeah, obviously, it wasn't obvious at the time, but it, it works really well. And it's really important to say that, as Laura and I said at the start, the more models, the better. And some of the other models that aren't don't look like higher up are still working really well and they're serving a, a, a really great purpose. I think have really interesting pathways for development and roll into your question, developing out new and interesting skill sets in the middle of, you know, what what is maybe entry level support work through to the absolute specialist yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of roles at the top of that pyramid. I think um, more the more models, the better. And I, I guess the point for us was just that we were very specific in what we wanted to do with higher up. We wanted to build an employment-based um, platform that really worked out how do we... Um, uh, get all the settings right to increase the longevity of relationships and, and how do we um, treat workers as, as, as um, employees and as part of our community that we're trying to build. Um, I guess that to the second, to the sort of the other part of your question then is um, we've got some really exciting stuff coming down coming down the line in terms of how, how are we starting to think about career pathways, how are we thinking about um, building and, and training and upskilling our, our workers that, that want to go on that journey. Um, how do we offer more permanency in in our in our contracts? All of these sorts of things that are is what sort of preoccupies me um, and and my time. And I, I'm really excited where where we can take it and the way we can develop um, really values based roles in the sector and and new roles and new ways of thinking about it. So that um, people like our brother Shane, um, it's just not an option to be just sitting in the corner of the house, but actually. Um, you know, it's, it's it's who do you want to be as a person with disability? What do you want to become, and, and how does a support worker, um, and how does how does that that pair of hands help you get there? And really, yeah, yeah. that's what we're trying to achieve. With I think the other part of your question about um, how can we build on higher up to add more program, you know, program structures, or um, I think the team at higher up are laser focused 
on what they're doing. They, they know they know what they do and they do it well and yeah. that's what they're doing. I think there's an opportunity and going back to what we were discussing before, is it disruption, is it evolution? There's an opportunity for the rest of the sector to say, well, we're a traditional provider. We've got more of a hands-on relationship with this person. Why don't we design the cool program that can intersect with, you know, so if the person wants to be able to choose their own support worker, but that's really hard for us to manage, okay, you do that through HireUp, and then we're going to run a separate program that intersects with that, that enables the person and their chosen support worker to come and get some value add, maybe it's skills, capacity building. I'll give, um, me, I'll give a really specific example of that. I met a, I've met an amazing young OT from Newcastle that's running a surfing program for kids with autism. And, um, you know, the theory there is um, the sort of the activity-based learning for, for kids that want to go and learn how to surf. It's really, um, um, uh, it's an amazing experience, the sort of um, sensory sort of work on the beach and the sand in the water, you know, and the seaweed splashing around. It's a really, really great program. And um, and it's it's an example. I was talking to this OT who was sort of saying, it's, you know, they're, they're in the early stages and really just trying to get going. And it's like, how can we work together? We've got all these people that, that would might love to, 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 to participate in a program like that. We've got um, all these wonderful workers. Like, how do how does how could we work together? And we don't have the answers necessarily. Yeah. Um, I just think about when I was in uni. I studied media, so it's different. But, like, what you would have done for a meaningful internship when you're in uni before you right. had your first job opportunity. And to think you could be, like, an OT student or a physio student who's just got a real interest in one of your hobbies or your interests that you could develop a program around, you know, put it on higher yeah, up and find it, people yeah. who, who can really enjoy it. I just think, you know, I don't know why this opportunity is so invisible to so many potential people who could be working in the sector. I want to go a step above that and just spend a moment on it. But my back of the envelope um, calculations say about it's somewhere between four and six billion dollars is, is being spent on day programs. Now, a num- very significant number of those day programs are the sort of programs you described before that that are they're doing their best, but they're really struggling and they're not really achieving the sort of outcomes anybody wanted them to achieve. Then if you take the other statistic that over 70% of the National Disability Insurance Insurance Scheme participants will have a significant cognitive disability. So we're looking for something that can be meaningful for them, and I hate to say it, but at least on a termly basis, so that families can go back to work, but so that they can have opportunities to lead valued lives. That's not going to happen by surfing once a fortnight. It's not going to happen by having higher up come into my, and I'm not criticizing higher up, mm-hmm. come into my home and assist me to do what I need to do or to do a few little things. S- someone needs to come along and reinvent that opportunity for someone to have a program, a whole term of meaningful activities and put some stuff across the top of it. So am I just bullshitting or? No, I, I mean, I could not agree with you more. I think that that what we need is entrepreneurs and the existing sector thinking creatively and thinking how can we add value but isn't that largely what you do at fighting chance if we're talking about entrepreneurs and valued lives and well i mean i mean absolutely at fighting chance we run lots of different you know we run yoga we run a whole bunch of stuff that people come to with their hire at worker we don't have to you know we um as in the traditional uh, as more traditional provider with bigger overheads it's harder for us to do the one-to-one thing effectively rather than lose money on that and sort of having to feel like we have to hoard all of the all of the um sort of workflow well okay you come with your worker we'll focus on the on the value add that we can add and i think you know i i think it's important that higher up resist the urge to just let let's let's higher up do a surfing program higher up do this higher up that's not higher up you want something aggregating it above it don't you but, but there can but i think there is enormous opportunity for other providers to start to think creatively about how non-traditionally about how are we providing all of the um 
the the value add, the program, the quality of the lived experience that then can intersect with something like HireUp. One of the things we as a consulting business have experienced over the last couple of years is increasing numbers of private equity um, coming to us and saying, we want to buy stuff in the industry. And you say, to well, most of the industry is not for profit. You can't buy stuff. A couple of them have said to us, everybody has their price, which is just hilarious because the not-for-profit sector does not have its price. It can't even work out what its price is to sell stuff, let alone sell stuff. So, But private equity is snooping, and we know they're snooping. We know they're sniffing around organizations like Higher Up. And at some stage, they're going to come along with a big bag of money and say do you really want that beach house in Byron Bay? And we'll we'll help you with hire up. Not only will we leave you in charge, we'll let you run it exactly the way you want to run it and give you this big bag of money. And then they'll shit on you. So, so, so this, is, this is a really important um, question for me. Um, as, as we said, we started Fighting Chance in 2011. So we, Laura and I um, have grown up in the world of not-for-profit. We really understand the world of philanthropy, and when we were start thinking about higher up, we realised it was going to be expensive exercise. We realised it's a technology business. We realised it actually doesn't fit a charitable model. This is a business, and it, and it's um, uh, there's a strong business model behind it. But all Laura and I really understood was the not-for-profit world, and so we spent probably nine, twelve months. I'm um, going in circles, trying to work out, trying to find answers to how are we going to structure higher up in the right way? Because we didn't, we we sort of had this idea that you got charity on the one hand, or sort of you know um, ruthless business on on the other hand, and and neither of those felt right to us. And it was only when we we hit upon this idea around um, for purpose business in the middle, and this idea of impact investing, and this idea that um, you can build an organization with all the heart and soul of a social mission and a for-purpose mission with all the focus and the rigor and the discipline of a really wonderful business and that for us was like a light bulb it was this idea that um you know uh for too long we've thought about charity on the one hand and business on the other and we've got to start thinking about if we want to solve challenges big social and environmental challenges in really scalable and fantastic ways we have to think about um harnessing the very best that sort of the approach of a business um, can create. And so for Laura and I, that was like a, a lightning bolt for us in our journey. Um, and, and really, since then, we haven't looked back. We're, we haven't looked back. We, we are um, really proving that you can build a great business that, that can, that can um, p- pursue totally a social mission. And so I think um, this idea of uh, we, we, we went and found investors in the early days, um, our, our sort of primary investor has been the Maya Foundation. And the Maya Foundation, when everyone else was saying no to us, Roland, when, when the, when the, um, the, the uh, big end of the business town, Laura and I would go and say, you know, we think we've got this idea, you know, could you support us? And they'd say, no, this, you know, we think this is a rubbish idea. Um, the people who gave us our break were the Maya Foundation here in Melbourne. They gave us, they've got a wonderful program called the Maya Innovation Fellowship, and they gave us $130,000 as a grant. No strings attached, go away, build a great business that can solve a social challenge. And with that money, we were able to start higher up. Um, we then went back to the Maya Foundation, who became one of our biggest investors as a supporter. They, they put money into the business saying, if this can make money one day, um, we can do more impact investing and more sort of venture philanthropy. And so um, for us, that model was set. We've got people behind us who are, um, uh, focused on the, the social impact that we can have in the world. And so I guess just to that question about, you know, um, selling the business or, or what might happen down the track, um, 
I heard that the Airbnb team talking about the way that they get asked this question all the time. What's going to happen? When are they going to IPO that business? When are they going to mm-hmm. sell that business? What's going to happen? And one of the co-founders, Joe Gebbia, said, you've got to understand that this is about legacy. For me and the other co-founders, this is about legacy. And for the first time, it hit me like a, again, like a lightning bolt of like, that's exactly what we're talking about here. For Laura and I, this is about legacy. And this is about creating a sector, you know, spending our lives working in a sector that, that we that, um, that we can all be really proud of and building things that we can be proud of. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how things are going to change over the next couple of years, but I know that we've set the business up in absolutely the right vein. We're, we're proving this model for for purpose, for profit innovation. And um, Laura and I are most focused on how do we create something that we can be really proud of. But Jordan, as the old guy in the room, the, the, the thing I can already hear rankling in my head is private equity will come to you and say, Jordan, if you really want to make a difference in people's lives, let's grow in America. And you're going to need tens of millions of bucks to get this platform up in America, and we can do it. And we will give you total control. But, but just, just um, you know, as a response, I mean, we're getting approached every week by yeah. people that want to be a part of this, that people that want to... And it's sort of um, what, what, we've, what we've spoken about. Laura and I are laser-focused on what we're doing. And it's one of the reasons that HireUp's working, that we, we don't want to grow in America. We don't want to grow overseas. We don't want to do aged care. We don't want to do other things. We want to, we want to, we want to be the higher-up of the disability sector. We want to build something that can um, create a an, an, uh, fantastic option for a proportion of the market and that can collaborate and share with the rest of the market to make sure we make the most of the NDIS. I think it's great advice for us as well because everybody wants us to move into aged care. DSC should be moving into aged care doing the same model and we're laser-focused on being disability specialists. I, I think... Something to understand about us is that we, um, this is personal for us. This is about our brother. Mm-hmm. And um, this is not the last thing I ever thought would happen in my life was that we would start a successful business. This is about creating, um, all of the work that we do is about creating the, the Australia that we wish that Shane had lived in. And so the decisions that we make when we're you know, at the board level when we're deciding where to take the business, they're values-based decisions based on what would have been best for Shane. And we talk, touched upon that with the decision around um, the employment structure and also the decision with how do we find, you know, the money that you need to build a website. That was a values-based decision to um, to to choose aligned backers. And I, I am so proud to know that, um, you know, with, with my Fighting Chance hat on, we apply for grants from people like the Maya Foundation. And with my Higher Up hat on, I know that in the future, if Higher Up is able to, you know, to return funds to that to that organisation, they can then grant that to others. You know, that, that is um, such a... I'm just so proud of that. And that, I think, um, who knows what will happen in the future. We may, you know, who knows what will happen, but it will always, whatever decisions we make will be based on values, what we believe is best for, for the sector and, and the, the decisions that we would make if Shane was in the room. This week goes to the heart of um, a debate or a discussion that Evie and I have been having for a number of years. So Evie started, uh, well, she finished a, a Master's of Sustainable Business at HEC in Paris, proud dad. And basically, she would talk about social enterprises. And I, I would always say a social enterprise is an oxymoron that as soon as, you, as soon as you put social on enterprise, you start to have 
um, people making coffee badly. So I can't tell you how many coffee shops have been set up with young unemployed people that make shit coffee. And they go broke very quickly. And years and years ago, there was a moving company, West Moves, that was young unemployed people that didn't like moving furniture, so they didn't actually answer the phone. So it was difficult to get West Moves to, <laughs> to do social enterprise stuff. But what you guys have done today is completely convert me to wow. social enterprise is possible. <laughs> um, you've reframed it. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, but it's so freaking unusual. That's not and, where I thought this question was going. Yeah. But I, where I, I want to go is why is it so freaking unusual that people can capture the essence of social enterprise, be innovative. You've been asked this a thousand times before. You must have a good answer for it and don't be all nice and everybody's capable of innovation. Why is it that you guys are still the poster children of the industry? I think that uh, my view is that social enterprise is still a relatively new concept. It's 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 emerging. It's much more um, developed in other countries overseas, but it's still very much an emerging space here. I think like any approach or, or, or industry, wobbly start, and I agree with you, I'm a massive fan of, of cafes as, as the, the only type of social enterprise, but we are seeing across the social enterprise space so much happening, and my personal view is that um, I think social enterprise is the future of the capitalist system. I think that you hear people in our generation who want to who want to buy well, who want to. If you can buy good coffee, well, let's not take coffee. If you can <laughs> buy, um, you know, good laundry, laundry services that that are equivalent to the the commercial laundry services, you but that they they are employing disadvantaged people, of course you'll buy them. Yeah. So the challenge for entrepreneurs is to, and you've got to work harder. That is for sure, because you are there is um, extra cost and extra sort of. Um, challenges that you face when you're trying to not just do a commercial service but to do it in a social way that is true but i think as an as a sector we are getting better at it um there is more and more you know amazing stuff coming through and i think you know we see in our work that um if we can go with jigsaw if we can go into to tender with um massive global uh, multinationals and we can say we will do your digitization services just as well as that as that global multinational yeah, yeah, yeah. but that by doing that you are empowering people with disability to to gain work skills and to and to um, earn award wage it's a no-brainer and additionally our generation want to work in places like that so i think over the next and, and it, these things take time but i think over the next 10 20 30 years we'll see more and more social enterprise they'll get better more competitive um and it will be, you know, I, th I think it's a way of the future. Roland, I remember really early days of Higher Up and I came across the work of DSC and I was so impressed. I'm like, who are these guys? And like, a, I was reaching out and we, we got to speak and you were so generous with your time um, in those days. I remember we, we met in a funny hotel in Melbourne for a, for a quick catch up at one point. We had yeah. a, a furious discussion and you came up and, and saw some of our work. But I remember in those early days when I called, when I was trying to answer this question of like, what's going on? This enormous opportunity in the sector, where's the innovation? And I'll never forget that you said, and I use this, I explain this to, to people who ask me that question all the time, is that you've got to understand that for so long in the disability space um, particularly, there wasn't the opportunity to innovate mm -hmm. and that um, people in the sector were often forced into the sector by necessity and that we we're doing the best with what we could. But a lot of people, a lot of people sort of, even in the sector, seem to, seem to forget just how extraordinary the opportunity is that... that, that um, now presents itself. The the minister. Um, just, I just have to say that's really lovely, but I've never said anything as nice as that in my life. But <laughs> you've reinterpreted. Well, well, you, uh, yeah, I won't say exactly what you said, but you, but but it was basically um, 
uh, that that <laughs> the green shoots were, like like the the people in the sector that have been historically in the sector aren't the innovators, and they're not. Um, you know, there hasn't been a system that's encouraged innovation. Yeah. There's been no opportunity yeah. for that. So you, so you said to me, Jordy, you've got to understand that this is going to come over the next decade. And it was really profound for me. And it's just been interesting to watch the- good rewriting history too. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. m- maybe I mis- misremember the conversation, but yeah. I'm certainly, I'm certainly um, claiming that conversation with you tell- and telling other people. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. I want to ask you two a question because every time I, I see the two of you, it just strikes me how fresh you are. You both seem like five, six years into- disability, NDIS, running your own businesses to have an amazing amount of energy and ideas and like really, uh, we spoke to Luke Bosher and I'll, you know, a couple episodes ago and we called that true believer because he's somebody who really sees a true believer and you two for me are the epitome of that. How do you stay so fresh? Like what's this, what's the secret? I, I feel like um, we haven't even started. I think that the NDIS is, um, is, a massive social reform, as we all know, it's going to take decades to to find its stride, and that's okay. And we are in this for that long haul. So, um, I mean, I'm not. I, I appreciate you saying I'm. We're fresh. I don't feel fresh. I've got two young children, so they. <laughs> so I'm very rarely fresh these days. But um, but we are incredibly passionate about this piece of work. As I said before, this is personal for us. This is this is about building the world that we wish our brother had lived in um, and that he, he, he didn't have the chance to experience but that his friends and his peers do and um, I think that that passion gives a lot, you know, it's a source of great energy. Um, That's clear. And, and also seeing, um, just yesterday I was at an event and I mentioned Higher Up and this lady came up to me afterwards and she said, my, my, uh, my daughter's 19, we use Higher Up, it's changed our, our lives and I will ride that energy for the next six months. You know, that, that is, is fuel for my soul to know that, that um, people are being positively impacted by what we're doing. Um, and I just, when, when people say those sorts of things to me, apart from knocking me sideways in terms of the, just the amazement of it, but it's just like, you're just right, okay, back to work, let's go. We've got to, you know, we've got to go harder. We've got to go make this, you know, we've got to grow this thing. We've got to reach more people. Um, very, yeah, I find that very energizing. While there's, um, it's really important to acknowledge how many people are experiencing challenges across the sector, of which there are, there's a lot, right? And we hear it, we hear it a lot. But I, especially at Harp, in this incredibly unique position where we're seeing like day to day where the NDIS is working brilliantly for people and where people who weren't previously getting supports are now accessing supports, being more included, fully included in the community, building these relationships and these networks. And so we just see an avalanche of, of those stories every day. And so um, it's, it's, it's trying to get the balance right and certainly for us and, and, and starting to sort of come out and talk more about our work is trying to get the balance right between acknowledging the challenges that so many people are facing and we see every day um, and the legitimate challenges of building something as big as the NDIS, but with all of the, the success stories that are out there um, and, and the sort of promise that's being realised of the, the opportunity of the NDIS. Mm. It's fabulous. And so I, I want to finish with, Evie, it's your birthday today. It is. And you were really, really happy to spend your birthday with Jordan and Laura O'Reilly in the studio. Mm-hmm. How come? 
Um, well, just because of precisely that. It's just like, what would I rather do with my birthday than have a conversation with two such passionate people? I told um, Jordan the last time we hung out, we were talking about training, which is the part of the business I ran. And the next day I felt like, you know, when you play pool and you break and the balls scatter everywhere. Because I feel like that's what my brain feels like, but in a good way. Um, it's really invigorating, isn't it? It it's is, really, you, yeah. you guys bring a really lovely energy um, both to the room and to the industry. And- it's kind of like a touch of tap. Do you mind if I say one more nerdy thing? I just want to say thank you to you guys for what you do at DSC. The information, like the newsletters is my, like when that drops into my inbox, it's like drop what you're doing, open it up, read what's going on because it's it's like the core of knowledge and information for me in, in my work every day and for my team. Everyone who starts, it's like, here's your induction and please sign up to DSC. Um, I just want to say thank you for what you That's guys do. Work. It's enormous. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Thank you, guys. Really good. And I just want to give a shout-out to Rolling with Jake Briggs. I just listened to his podcast. He's, he's got three or four on YouTube at the moment. That's Rolling with Jake Briggs. It's a really lovely, really lovely tone, really lovely voice that Jake's bringing to podcasts. So shout-out to Jake. You've been listening to Disability Done Different Candid Conversations, a podcast by DSC that's produced by Maya Thomas. If you want to hear more from us, maybe look at that wonderful newsletter Laura was mentioning. You can go to our website, disabilityservicesconsulting.com.au. And if you've liked this podcast, please do subscribe and give us a five-star review.